Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm your host, journalist Holly Rubenstein, and here each week I'll be speaking to a very special guest about the seven chapters in their life's travel diaries. From their earliest childhood travel memory and the first place they fell in love with, to their hidden gem and what's at the top of their travel bucket list. We'll be uncovering their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. Today, we are embarking on a special adventure, a voyage through the enchanting world of train travel. Our guest today is a true connoisseur of locomotion, travel writer Monisha Rajesh. So in 2010, Manisha spent four months traveling around India by rail. And she recounted this in her debut book, Around India in 80 Trains. After India, Manisha took on the world over seven months and 45,000 miles on an adventure through the global rail networks, which later became her next book, The Brilliant Around the World in 80 Trains. Together today, we're going to explore why slow travel and train travel have become not just important, but just so enjoyable in our fast-paced modern world. You know, train travel has always held this degree of intrigue and romance since its first golden age. But we talk about whether we're now entering a new golden age of train travel because it's this winning alternative for climate-conscious travellers who are looking to minimise their carbon footprint, reduce their air miles. And when we're in this era of you know, jet set vacations and the constant rush to get from A to B, we so often overlook the magic that can unfold outside our windows when we choose the railways to travel. It offers us this unique opportunity to savour the journey itself, to relish the landscapes, the cultures and the stories that unfold along the way. And Manisha brings us to life so powerfully today. We'll hear her train travel diaries from her earliest train travel memory being carried across the train tracks in Switzerland by her parents to falling in love with train travel on a journey from Mumbai to Goa and her all-time favorite journeys to suit all budgets. From journeys that last just a few hours to those that last several days, Manisha brings to life the unique perspective that traveling on a train can give us as travelers. She evokes it so beautifully in our episode today. I really think this is going to be one of your all-time faves. So all aboard and let's get started with Manisha. Monisha Rajesh, welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. It is amazing to see you. How are you? Very well, thank you, Holly. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I mean, we were just chatting about how much train travel you've done. I mean, do you have any idea about like how much distance you've covered, how many routes you've taken? Well, just the other day, I was trying to figure out how many miles I've done because obviously the around the world in 80 trains was about 45,000 miles. Um, the India journey was about 25,000 um, and I've been researching my next book um, over the last year and I have absolutely no idea how much I've done so I don't know probably more than 100,000 miles probably. Yeah I mean you've covered so much ground I, I couldn't think of anyone better suited to join me today on this train travel special celebrating slow travel getting to uncover the stories about this other side of travel which so many people I think haven't chosen to or haven't had the opportunity to really delve into so we start right at the very beginning that is chapter one and that will be your earliest childhood train travel memory I was thinking about this on the way over and I have a memory of it even though I was three months old I have the memory of it because I've seen all the photographs um, around what happened that day Um, It was actually my first train journey when I was three months in Switzerland. My parents had gone over with my brother, who was four at the time, to visit some family friends. And I've heard the story many times about how they were sitting on a train, which they thought was going to Bonn. And my mum got chatting to a family who were in the compartment who suddenly said, this train isn't going to Bonn, it's going to burn. (laughs) About two minutes before the train was leaving, my parents literally picked up my pram and carried it across the rail tracks (laughs) (laughs) to all the shouts of guards and train people saying, don't do that. And they literally carried me across the tracks uh, with my brother hoiked over my dad's shoulder to get to the train. And 
that's always stuck with me because they've told that story so many times. And I don't know, maybe that was the moment <laughs> where it became part of who I was going to be. That is such an incredible story. I love that. And did train travel feature much within your childhood? I know you spent most of it living in England and a couple of years living in India. So not so much in England. Um, I never had those childhood journeys to grandparents or, you know, taking trips to the seaside or anything like that. But it really was the journey around India that cemented that love of trains. Because actually when I went to India, it wasn't about the trains. That was never my reason for going. It was about traveling around. As you'd mentioned, I'd lived in India in 1991 for two years because I was born in the UK and grew up here. And then my parents had always wanted to go back. So we went back supposed to be permanently and it ended up being just two years because none of us could settle we were just so used to England was home basically so they came back um, but in that time that I was there I used to take the trains quite regularly because it was just the easiest way to travel about car journeys would be up to eight or nine hours highways weren't really very safe they hadn't really been developed at all so we'd get the train wherever we went um, and those were my kind of fondest memories of that time that we had in India so when I was then 20 years later thinking about going back and confronting this country that I'd had this really icky relationship with. It was just to travel around for four months. I wanted to visit all these different cities that all my friends had been to. I wanted to go to the Taj Mahal. I wanted to go to the Himalayan foothills. I wanted to do all these different things. And I just found that the easiest way to do it was by train. And that was a secondary thing. It was, if I want to do this journey, this seems to be the easiest, cheapest, fastest, most economical way of getting around. Um, and also the most fun because... I knew that as soon as I got on board, I would just be surrounded by people. I would be able to get all these stories out that I wanted to find. I could hop on and off as and when I wanted to. Um, and I'm not a fan of flying. Even, you know, back in 2010, I wasn't keen on flying. I was quite aware of climate change at that point. And I just didn't like this idea of sort of taking budget flights everywhere. So that was where the, the love of trains really sort of began was there a particular journey that made you fall in love with train travel um definitely in fact whenever people ask me what my favorite journey is it's the same one every time and I've actually done it about six or seven times now um it's called the Mandovi Express and it's a, it's it's that's the name of the actual train but that route from Mumbai down to Mudgaon and Goa is it's about 12 hours um you set off at seven o'clock in the morning and you get in and now it's actually 14 hours and you get in at nine o'clock at night. Um, it sounds really long. It's only 14 hours on a train. It sounds really arduous. But this specific train, the Mandovi Express, is just one of many trains that runs that route. There are about 14 that do it during the day. So you can take a super fast train that does that route in five hours or you could do an overnight train, but then you miss all the scenery. And that's the thing about this train that's absolutely amazing. It's probably the best scenery in the whole of India because you very rapidly get onto the Konkan coast mm -hmm. which runs right down the western southwestern coast of India um, and you've got the Arabian Sea on one side and then you've got the Sahyadri mountains on the other and the train literally spends 14 hours just with both flanking its sides wow. and you go over oh my gosh coconut groves there are palm trees like slapping against the windows you go over some of the highest bridges in India as well um, and the doors are always flung open on these trains. The doors are open on all Indian trains for the most part because um, they go quite slowly. It's, sort of, it's going at a sort of jogging pace. So these doors are wide open. You've got warm air billowing in from the sea. You've got barred windows with no glass if you travel in general class, which is where I always go for these journeys because otherwise you're up in second class AC or something. It's blue tinted windows. It's air conditioned. It's really cold and you can't really see anything. So if you have the doors open and you're sort of standing inside, you can see absolutely everything. Um, this particular train also has the best, what they call pantry car on the whole of Indian railways. So most of the catering is brought on board at different stations, but this particular train actually has the car on board. It's the chefs are in there with these big woks and they cook fresh food continuously throughout the day. So from, from literally from 7.30 in the morning, when you get on, there are hawkers coming up and down the aisles with different stuff. They've always got something different. And whenever they call out, I never quite know what they're actually saying because it's really, they'll say it with this kind of really melodious, drawn out tone. And you have to kind of sort of strain to go, was that samosa or was it kachori or is it biryani? 
And they will come through with these big baskets and you sort of forage around to see what they've got in. And they always have these amazing freshly cooked snacks. And because it's all cooked immediately on board, it's perfectly safe to eat. So if you're a kind of newbie to Indian railways, it's probably one of the best trains that you could take. Because also you have, um, sorry to go on about it so much, it's just, it is my favourite train. I just, I love it because in this specific train you have sleeper berths. So you're not in a normal chair car situation where you're sitting upright for 14 hours you're in a compartment there are four sleeper berths you've got blankets and pillows so if you get on board early in the morning and you're tired you can nap you can just climb up to your berth and nap for a couple of hours watching it all go by yeah so the window is at the foot of your berth and you can lie in your berth with a book just looking out the window the whole time just basically lying it's essentially you lie in bed with a cup of tea and a load of snacks and just watch the scenery go by and for me, why would you not want to do that? It's it's so much fun. And the day just disappears. Because also these trains are, they're very different from trains around the world. I suppose that other Asian trains are similar, but there's a real kind of communal setup in Indian trains where you are surrounded by people who will just talk to you. They'll just literally get up and sit down opposite you and ask you what you're reading and where you're going and why you're there. Um, they'll look at your bag, they'll look at your clothes and ask you some stuff about them. Um, they'll just start asking what you're married, have you got kids, you know, where's your family, where your mum and dad. And I used to love, you know, I was 28 when I did this trip. I'm like, where are mummy, daddy? And like, um, home, <laughs> back in the UK. Like, where's your husband? I haven't got one. And then they would just look really baffled. But I used to love these conversations because they would just throw up so many interesting stories about these people and you would just come away with such a different perspective on everything. And they were also full of advice. They'll tell you everything about the destination you're headed to. You, you should be staying in that hotel. You should be staying in this one. You've got to go and try, you know, these empanadas at this go and bakery. And you just you just come away with such an amazing understanding of food, cinema, you know, books, the scenery. Um, and it was even, I mean, on my last trip, I went in September last year, it was probably the sixth time I've done the train. Um, someone on board told me about the crocodiles that live, they're very specific, I can't remember what they're called now, it was a very specific type of log crocodile that lives in the waters beneath these lakes that I've always been admiring. And I had no idea. And he said they are some of the most dangerous crocodiles in the country. And I remember thinking, wow, I've been doing this for 12 years and had no idea that this kind of wildlife is out there. Uh, um, and again, you just pick these things up because so many people on that train live in that area and they just hop on and off and they'll just give you little snippets that you would you would never find online, you would never read about. So they're, they're a real education. Yeah, I mean, I love that you say about train travel. While you're on board, people and countries open up in a way that's very specific to train travel. Yeah. And that's exactly what you're saying. And I don't think that's just limited to India, actually, because when I was in the US, which is, it's an interesting place for trains, because most people will tell you no one takes trains in America. They exactly. don't. We either fly or we just drive big pickup trucks and SUVs from one state to the next and... It's not actually true. It's just a very specific demographic who don't take the trains, but loads of other people do. And when I was on board, for, I had an Amtrak pass, so I was on board for six weeks, and I met some of the most wide-ranging people who I would never have come across if I had driven or ta even taken a Greyhound or flown. I met German Baptist brethren who sat across from us in the dining car. The lady was wearing a lacy bonnet and she had this little cape around her shoulders her husband had the very specific beard that Amish people have as well um, and braces and we had an hour-long conversation with them over roast chicken and rice because in the dining car they just seat you next to anybody so they'll just draw you in and then they'll just draw in the next couple and sit them down opposite you and that's your dining companion for the next 40 minutes or an hour and you just chat about anything. And they were asking my husband about his job, who happened to work in technology. <laughs> How <laughs> Not ironic. their strongest point. Um, and the gentleman was really sweet. And he said, well, good for you to have found something that interests you. And I said, why do you enjoy taking these trains? Because they were going to visit their daughter in Idaho. And he said, because we get to meet people like you. And I thought that was just so sweet. And he said, we have our pillows. We've got our duvets. We're happy. We don't need anything else. And... It just made me think about all these things that we have all the time and, you know, neck pillows and this and earpods and, you know, just all this stuff that we don't really need. And they were so content with everything they had or everything they didn't have as well. 
Um, and I found that so much on, on these trains. And some of the other people I met were, I met a couple in their 80s, a black couple, who, again, were having dinner with us. And the lady was saying that she remembers being a child on board the train and being pushed to the furthest back carriage and hidden when white kids got on board. And she said, I never would have imagined then that I would ever be able to actually sit in this dining car. What a conversation to have. Really, and, and just over dinner, you just find yourself in there finding these incredible histories and living history as well. It's moving history. It's, it's still happening. It's not completely finished. It's still a part of America at the moment. And, and you pick up these stories. And you, really, they're realities, I think, that you don't necessarily find anywhere else because there's no reason why that person would tell that story to somebody else, but they just happened to have said it on that day. And I was lucky enough to be in that place where I got it. So I think that's why I like trains so much. It's not really the trains, it's the people and what you, what you get from them. I love that. So chapter three, kind of building on that, is the train journey where you learned the most about yourself. What would that be? Again, it was while I was traveling in India. I initially had set off with a friend of a friend who was a photographer who was just going to come and spend as much of the trip as he could with me. And we had a huge clash of personalities over, it was over religion fundamentally, but he was a what he described as a militant atheist. And at the time I was Hindu. I'd never really considered anything other than that. Um, I suppose I just never really found any reason to question anything. Having this person there all the time, constantly telling you that what you've been brought up to believe is not true and is just a falsehood, um, really took its toll on me. And we ended up coming to blows in Chandigarh in Punjab. Um, and I just had enough and I left. I packed my bag overnight and I just fled the next morning. I crept out really quietly while he was sleeping, shut the hotel door and I ran away. And I had this most amazing sense of freedom as soon as I'd gone because it had obviously just taken such a toll on me that I was so stressed out by it that I just wanted to be by myself. And then there was the moment of absolute terror that, hang on, I'm on my own now. Am I going to continue this journey? I've got so many trains left. I've got weeks ahead of me. Am I going to just quit and go home? What do I do? I don't have a photographer. I don't have a traveling companion. And I went and sat in this little bakery for a bit. And then I thought, no, you need to just go back to Delhi and sort yourself out, repack your bags and just figure out what you want to do. And Delhi was where there was a really lovely woman who was helping me sort out my trains at the at the foreign tourist office. And I thought, if I go back there, she might be able to change some of these tickets for me and I can carry on somewhere else. Um, and I was sitting on the train platform and I just got on the first train that came through. I hadn't booked onto it. I hadn't reserved it. It was very unlikely that I would have even been able to get on board because these trains are booked up to sort of 90 days in advance. And it was it was going to Delhi and I just I just got on. And I was sitting in what looked like a very fancy carriage. I'd obviously got on in like the business class carriage. And I was just, I had this imposter syndrome. I thought, God, I'm going to get thrown out at some point. And then I just saw this face above the seats um, that looked really familiar and I just kept looking and she kept looking and then I stood up um, and it was my friend Jane's mum. <laughs> um, Jane and I were at university together and they're from Cambridge and <laughs> um, Jane's mum, Lynn, and her dad were on no board way. the train and she started waving madly at me and she just gave me the biggest hug and she said, Jane told us you were out here but we didn't for a second even think we might see you. And her dad just said, well, you know, what, what's happened? Because I, I was obviously quite tearful at this point. And I told him and he said, oh, bollocks to him. He said, just crack on, do your own thing. He said, you'll be absolutely fine. And they gave me a massive hug and I went back and sat down. And it was, a, I think it was about a five hour journey back to Delhi. And I remember throughout that whole time, just looking out the window thinking, you can do this. You can absolutely do this. You don't need anyone else. You know this country. You have got your things. You're safe. You will be absolutely fine. You just need to keep your wits about you. You can't give up on this trip just because of someone else. And I spent the next however many weeks alone. And well, I wouldn't even say alone. I'd say by myself and with the company of other people on board the train. And it was I was so far outside my comfort zone at that point. And I was in parts of India that uh, my parents had never been to and our family friends said, I've never even heard of this place. You know, do you even know anyone there? Would you be okay if something happened? And, and I was, and I just, I remember it was a real turning point for me that I was 
going to go and do this by myself and nothing was going to stop me. It's a real lesson in resilience. It really was because I was terrified. I really didn't know how I was going to crack on and do this. And, you know, I had, I did feel after I was by myself, I could feel the difference in how people treated me when we weren't in a pair. And immediately being a single woman by yourself with a backpack is not something that you see frequently in India, especially in the North. And I was really aware of that all the time. Um, but I still... I still went on and did it just to see how much I could push myself. Do you have any advice for solo travel, maybe particularly for women on train journeys, any kind of tips? In India specifically or anywhere? I suppose perhaps more broadly. More broadly. Um, yeah, do you know, in, in the last year while I've been travelling, because there's been such a big gap between all my sort of big stints of travelling, I did 2010 was when I did India, 2015 I went round the world, but then my now husband was with me. And it was, it's eight years now since I did that. And I've been doing most of this by myself. And I don't know whether it's because I've got a little bit older, but I'm a bit more reluctant to be in compartments on my own or, and also I think I've done a lot of travel with my daughter as well recently. So I'm much more aware of her needs and being a small girl. And so I've been in a few more women's only compartments and I've never been a huge advocate for them because I always feel like you're, to some degree, you're sort of perpetuating a problem where if you just segregate everybody, you're never going to get to a point where people can travel together. And, you know, especially in India where there are lots of women-only compartments, I fully understand why women travel in them because you just, you want the safety, you want the space, you want to know that you're not going to be groped or, you know, leered at or have any kind of catcalling. Um, but equally, I think if you do keep everybody separate, you're not, men are never going to get to a point where they understand what it's like to travel around other women. Um, but I fully respect people's choice to, to do that. And I've been in a few women's only um, sleeper compartments recently. Um, and I did automatically just have that sense of ease and not worrying in a way that I would if I was in a mixed compartment or just all men, because you, you know, you might be. And so, yes, I would probably say, just think about what your limitations are. Um, also in terms of budget just think about what you're willing to spend and if you are happy to fork out for a private compartment where you've got both births to yourself absolutely do that there's nothing wrong with that at all um, you have to feel comfortable wherever you are and you've got to travel in a way that suits you um, and you might not want to be in a six-person compartment with lots and lots of bags and strange people because some people just aren't happy doing that um, and also in, I found in Scandinavia it's a very Scandinavian thing not to share compartments with people. So if you buy a sleeper berth, you automatically have to buy out the compartment unless you travel with somebody that you know. It's a real cultural thing because in India, you just absolutely wouldn't do that. You just, you get who comes and that's it. And everybody just buys out the seats and just, you know, you get on with it. So, um, yeah, but traveling as a woman, um, one of the things I always do is just make sure that I've got my accommodation booked. I know exactly how I'm going to get from the station to the hotel because you don't necessarily have taxi ranks outside I try not to get there too late at night especially if I'm traveling with my daughter I try and get a train that's going to get in at a decent time so it's still daylight um, just small things like that just sort of thinking ahead so chapter four is your all-time favorite train journey but because you've done so many and I want to hear about so many more I wondered if we could break it down maybe into like three categories your favorite luxury train journey your favorite daytime one that you could do in a day and then your favorite one on a budget oh a budget train um so this is actually one of my favorite train journeys it's also a day journey um but it's a train between Cannes and Ventimiglia in French or Ventimiglia in Italy it's the border town it's just a 90 minute journey and I used to take it all the time because when I read French at university I had a year abroad and I was a language teacher at a high school in Cannes. And I used to do this journey quite regularly because lots of the assistants lived up and down the coast. And at the weekend, we used to meet up. And so I used to hop on this train, which is it's just a commuter service. It's a regular commuter that starts at about 6am and ends at about 9.45 at night. And it runs every hour, but it's the most spectacular journey. And if you can get on the double-decker one, it literally looks like a double-decker bus. It's full of, you know, grandmas going a couple of towns to the beach. It's got, you know, elderly people. It's very, I mean, lots of elderly people live around the Riviera. So they're, they're all kind of, it's all these sort of leathery tanned people um, in sandals with baguettes and baskets. Um, and then loads of students who used to go to the University of Nice. 
Um, and it really is just a commuter train with, you know, dogs sleeping under the seats. And I was just there two weeks ago, actually. And I made my daughter come on the journey with me because we were a bit further down the coast in Fréjus. And it's still just the most gorgeous journey because you, from around Cannes, you just get beaches and beaches and beaches. And especially in summer, because we were there the height of summer, you can see people paddling out to pontoons. You can see them. You, I mean, you can see such close detail. That's the bit I love about these trains because it's right by the edge of the coast. And we could see people carrying surfboards out paddling into the water. You could see people running away from the surf and massive waves. You see caravans. You can see people setting up for the whole day. Um, some amazing bridges. You've just got these gorgeous, really tiny coves and then amazing villas. It's one of my favourite things is staring into other people's houses. And that's one of the best things you can do on trains because you run so close to the backs of people's houses and lots of open balconies, French doors thrown open. And you can see what people are doing all the time. You see people wandering about carrying books. You can see them tidying. You can see people cooking. At night, you can often see, you know, the blue light of people's TVs when they're watching films. And you just get this really lovely kind of quite voyeuristic, I suppose, look into people's houses and they're just the way they live. Um, but the specific train, it's just 90 minutes. I love it. It's 90 minutes up the coast and it's never uninteresting. There's always a new small town that suddenly crops into view. And because you stop at about seven or eight different stations, um, there's Antibes and joan les and Carnes-sur-Mer, and you can, you can see all like the front of the little station. And then as you leave, you can see behind it and you can see the actual town. You can see the bars, you can see tiny roundabouts and ice cream places. And, and you get a really good idea of what the town's like as you go through. And you can see how nice the water is. So a, a couple of times I'd actually got off and just gone and had a drink in the town and then just got back on and carried on up to Ventimiglia, which is, it's a really lovely border town as well because it's, it's just across the Italian border and it's got a massive market and everything, <laughs> when we were students, we used to actually go and do all our meat and wine shopping there because it was so much cheaper than Cannes. And for just an hour and a half, we'd get there, stock up on the loveliest red wine and sausage and stuff and then come back and that was us set for the week and it, the journey's I, I checked because I've actually just written about it for someone it's 14 euros one way and you can hop on and off all the way is there a side of the train that's best to sit on so if you're in Cannes you sit on the right hand side upstairs that is a fantastic recommendation <laughs> and accessible as well and then how about the more luxury end of the spectrum so I would say I think one of the loveliest journeys I did was the Canadian from Vancouver to Toronto. And I, I also got off in Jasper. So overnight you go from Vancouver to Jasper in Alberta. And then I actually hopped off and went on a different train for two days called the Skeena, which I can talk to you about a bit later because I know there's a question coming up, which it might relate to. Um, and then got back on in Jasper and carried on to Toronto. But it's um, three days and two nights and... There are lots of different classes that you can take. Again, you can be in the sitting up chair car compartment if you like. And there are loads of people in there doing that with carry bags of duvets and neck pillows and eye masks and things. Um, or you can have a regular sleeping berth, um, which is what we did. We had, it was essentially a bunk bed. Mm -hmm. And then during the day, the beds fold up and they turn into big armchairs that you can swing around and face the window. So that was probably one of my favorites because it's, I mean, you wake up to the Rocky Mountains the first morning and you push up the blind and you've just got the most spectacular blue-green lakes and snow-capped mountains and bald eagles swooping around. And it's, I mean, it's literally like something off the sort of Visit Canada poster. Oh, sounds spectacular. And it's got a lovely dining car because when you travel in that one, you automatically have access to the dining car with your meals. And there are three meals a day and it's all sort of white tablecloths and crystal and you have a really nice menu with bison steak and, you know, lovely puddings and things and wine. So it's a really, it's the sort of thing that you would probably do for an anniversary or a big mm. landmark birthday or something. So, And is that the train where there's a compartment which is almost like an entirely glass dome? Yes, there is one entire carriage that's just, um, I can't remember the name of the carriage. They call it something really specific, but it has a panoramic dome and you can sit up there the whole night if you want to and in fact night time is one of the loveliest times to be up there if you sit up at the top and at the front because the headlamps of the train 
light up the whole track ahead of you and just slightly to the side and you can see all the fir trees just lit up and this ama- you can see the track ahead and it's just it really is magical it's it's like something out of a kind of just incredible storybook and you especially if you stand at the back of the train as well and you can see the tracks sort of tailing away and you can see people one of the most interesting things about that train that I didn't know again till I spoke to a woman on board whose family were railroaders was that with that Canadian route if people it's called a flag stop service so if somebody steps out from the trees and puts an arm out they have to stop and let them get on because of whereabouts it is and because it's such a kind of lots of them are really rural areas they have to stop to let on hikers mushroom pickers um vagrants and they do they stop then they pick people up not often but it does happen it didn't happen on the journey that we were on but on the skeena train um which we took from jasper up to prince rupert um it's also a flag stop service and it did stop a few times when we were on it to pick people up. And also, I think, really interesting to get to see that interior part of Canada, which I don't think is really all that easy to see or, or travel to. No, it isn't. And when we were going through states like Saskatchewan, which I, I'd only ever read about um, as a sort of vast prairie land, um, you spent hours and hours with the same thing outside the window a little bit i suppose like the trans-mongolian was when we're going through russia you can spend 17 hours with exactly the same thing outside it did nothing has changed in all that time the same trees the same landscape and it's only then that you realize quite how huge these places are and when you think you've spent 17 hours on a train traveling at that speed and you're still in the same place technically it's it's quite sort of the perspective you get on how small the UK is or Europe is by by sort of contrast is quite amazing. But even though there are these big periods where you're seeing the same vista, like you say, it's it's still your favourite. Yeah, no, it is. It's lovely. I think just it was all it was all the bits sort of that came together with it. It was the it was the people that we met on board again. Um there's a nice little bar. The 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 chap working behind the bar was just full of stories because I think one of the loveliest things I find about staff on board the trains is that they've invariably been there about 20 years. I'm yet to find someone who will say, oh, I've, you know, I've just started or I've been here six months or a year. They've all been in these lifetime jobs. And there is something about being on trains and being in a sort of railroading family. Because there's also lots of, lots of these are generational jobs as well. They'll tell you, my dad used to do this and my grandpa used to do this. And so it was almost just a given that I would also do this. But they have great pensions. They have great perks because all the family members can use the trains um, and huge discounts. And they just said it's it's a really nice way to meet people. Loads of them do it because they just like meeting people as well and traveling from one place to the next. And I loved just sitting in the window and being able to read occasionally we'd watch sort of an episode of game of thrones if it got dark but you can that's the lovely thing about these trains that you can sit in comfort you're sitting in bed essentially and you are getting things done you're doing stuff you're reading you're finishing books you're doing crosswords you're playing scrabble and yet you still you're still going somewhere you've still got to that destination you haven't hindered yourself in any way and it's there's a real sort of level of multitasking, but in a really nice way. And then you finished all the things you had to do. You, I did a bit of work sometimes when I was on board. And then you turn up in Toronto and you think, OK, I've got loads done and I've managed to cover this distance and get here. And I've met lovely people, had some really nice food. And here we are. Love that. Now, you mentioned that you are now working on your next book. Can you tell us anything about that? Absolutely. Yeah, it's about um, it's all about sleeper trains. Um, and the resurgence in sleeper trains because after I did the third one I was convinced I was done with trains I thought there is nothing left for me to say I've been everywhere I want to be and then I could see that there was this resurgence coming there were more sleeper trains were being brought back in Europe Um, most of them had been phased out by the end of the 90s and early 2000s and then they brought back one and then another one came back and I thought oh I wonder if this is a bit of a trend and yeah, I started to see that this is actually a massive trend. So I so I wrote a I spoke to my editor about it and I said, I think this is happening. And he said, Is there anything that you've not written on yet that you could still do? And I said, Well, I didn't actually do much of Europe in either obviously not the first book, but certainly not the second one. Um 
we barely spent a month on a Eurail pass. So I said, there are loads coming up in Europe and I've wanted to actually spend a bit more time closer to home. And I think this could be a thing. So, so yeah. And in the last year, while I've been researching it, more routes have been coming up and there are more private um, companies, entrepreneurs who just have a big, huge love of trains who've just come together. There's a company called European Sleeper, which just set up. Um, I actually did their inaugural train from Brussels to Berlin which was so much fun. And so they've announced quite a few routes, haven't they, the European Sleeper? So what are some of the ones that we can look forward to? So the ones who are actually doing loads of routes are Austria's rail network, the Nightjet. So that's OBB is Austria's national rail service. And the Nightjets are the ones which are expanding and they've got a whole new fleet. I think it's about 17 new trains, which they're launching in September which are going to be completely new, really brand new inside. And the one thing I'm quite excited about is these little single pods that they're doing for commuters who don't want to share with other people, but don't want to have the cost of having that sort of double compartment. It's just a single unit where you sort of, they're like capsule train compartments. And they look really swanky, but the prices are pretty much the same. And they're going to be launching this fleet in September, but also there are more new routes that they're actually setting up. So... You, I was actually quite taken aback by how far you can get by sleeper train already. I mean, you can pretty much get, you've got Germany, Amsterdam, the Czech Republic, you can get down to France, you can get across to Italy, because um, they've got a branch called um, Euronight, which is part of the Nightjet service. Mm-hmm. And it sort of operates with other countries' networks, it's sort of a combination thing. Um, but you'd be amazed if you actually do look up where you can get to what is actually possible. I actually just went from Rome to Palermo with my daughter. Ah. Um, that's probably one of the most fun journeys that I've done because I'd read for a long time about the ferry yeah. um, crossing, which I wasn't sure quite how it would work. And I was adamant that I was going to wake up when it happened because lots of people miss it because it happens in the early hours in the morning. So I we set off at about 11 o'clock at night from Rome um, my daughter and I were sharing a twin compartment. There's just two of us in there. And and she's quite an amazing traveller. She's she's six. Um, and she's now that I think about it, she's done three or four night trains with me now. And she's quite adaptable. So she had a nap. She napped at about eight o'clock till about 10. And then I had to sort of grudgingly wake her up at 10 and take her onto the train. Um, and she was wide awake by that point because she'd had this power nap. And so she was sitting, kneeling up in the berth and watching as we left Rome at 11 and then finally, you know, she and, and she loved it. She was she was watching, you know, the backs again, backs of people's houses. You could really see into all the windows of the apartments, and we were we were counting how many people's lights were still on and things. And then finally, she fell asleep at about eleven thirty. And at six in the morning, I remember just feeling a bit sort of jolted around in my sleep, and I thought, "What is going on?" And then I suddenly realised what it was, and I leapt up in a panic. So I thought, "I hope I haven't missed this." And we were just coming into, I think it's called. I might be wrong, but I think it's Villa Giovanni Station. And that's exactly where you stop before they uncouple all the carriages and they shunt them back and forth until you're parallel on the ferry. They put them on the ferry next to each other and then the ferry crosses the Strait of Messina over just a 20-minute ride and on the other side they couple them and then the train sets off again to Palermo. And we woke just as they were doing it, so we were side by side and when I realised we'd actually all been locked in and we were actually on the ferry I said to her do you want to go out and have a look and she looked a bit nervous and I said just go and see what it's like so we put trainers on over our pyjamas and we opened the door and I was like oh this is weird because you just jumped straight down into the ferry and the trains hiked up and so I had, had to give her a leg up and then we went upstairs to the ferry and we were on the move and a few passengers had got up and gone upstairs as well just to have a look and were taking pictures and we were, we were already off. And then as we looked down, we could see our compartment just beneath us and someone pulled the curtain back and this really perplexed looking face kind of looked up, obviously thinking what earth is happening and what's going on. And um, my daughter waved and, and they were just like, this is, this is very, st- oh, right, okay, so we're actually on the ferry now. Because I think the majority of people do sleep through it because it's so early. And it's such a cool thing to witness. It's so fun. It's so, so fun. I think on the way, the other way from Palermo to Rome, everybody does get up and see it because it's about 10 o'clock at night. So they all stay on board. And I think I would love to see that by night because you get to see the ports, at, you know, twinkly lights and whatnot as you're crossing. And it must be really... 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Really beautiful. Scandinavian trains are amazing. Everything about Scandinavia is amazing. The food, you know, people, the setup, everything. But when I was in Norway, the train was so smooth, you could barely even feel that you were on a train. And I slept so well. And this was, this was even despite the fact that I kept the blind up because I was traveling during the midnight sun. It's a two-week period where the sun sets at about half past 12 at night, comes up again at two o'clock in the morning. And I wanted to do the train specifically for this, so I'd left the blind up. And even when it was dark, it wasn't completely dark. It was, I suppose, as dark as it is at about sort of four or five. And you still had big cracks in the sky. You could see orange light coming up on the horizon. And it was there permanently at midnight. And it was the strangest thing to see. And I can imagine. Obviously, the old towns and lakes and things take on a completely different colour. The water reflects differently in that kind of light. And it's just such a strange feeling that you're... Like it's midnight and you can see everything and people are out. That was the, the best bit. At four o'clock in the morning, I went to the dining car because I was just awake and it does something to your circadian rhythms because there's just no darkness. And at four, I got up and I thought, I need to go and see what's happening because this is why I'm here. I'm writing about it. And I sat in the dining car by myself. The manager was in there and he brought me a coffee and it was four. It was 4.20 in the morning. Um, and it was bright and we passing the fjords and there were people in waders fishing. There were people taking out wakeboards. There were people out in yachts. And it was just, it was the strangest thing to see. But it was lovely. And I thought this just the energy that people get from having that sort of sunlight, especially in that part of the world where during winter, it's exactly the opposite. And we went to climb. We were actually climbing a mountain at 1 a.m. And it was dark red. The sky was just red because the sun had just set. And I only discovered when we came down 25 minutes later that the sun was coming up again and I wish I'd stayed up because it, it doesn't set in the way that you normally see a sunset where it just sort of drifts straight down in a proper vertical. It sets horizontally. And it was the strangest thing to watch. We're sitting at the top of this mountain. It's a sort of, it's, it's a sort of 11 o'clock hike that everybody does in Buda, which is right up in the north, um, just inside the Arctic Circle. And everyone was out. There were joggers, there were people with their dogs at one o'clock in the morning. It was so weird. And we'd had a big dinner and I just felt really out of sorts. It, it felt, again, very kind of magical because it's not normal to have that level of daylight in your system and your brain is saying, it's late, it's late, I need to go and sleep. But it, Sky is telling you it's not late, it's really bright, there's an amazing sunset coming. And then when it did set, it just sort of hovered behind a cloud for a bit, and then it just went sideways. Oh my gosh, amazing. And it didn't go down, and I thought, this is really strange to watch. And I kept staring at it, and it just stayed behind a cloud, and then it just started moving to the right. And my photographer friend, Mark, who I actually met on a train in India in 2010, who now comes, he comes with me for all my travels. And he pointed out to me, he said, look, you can, he said, you can actually see the curve of the earth and you can see the way the sun is moving sideways. And he said, if you look, you can actually see it starting to come up again. And it's, it's the strangest sight. And it was reflecting off the mountain behind us, just had this pink patch the whole time. And as we walked down it was about quarter to two in the morning and an uber came to get us because everyone's awake at that time and we got back to our hotel and went to bed at 2 30 and it was coming up sun was rising again and to see it on a train as well i think made all the more difference because you're you're overnight you're the whole night you're seeing through the night 
moving constantly with it and seeing the way the landscape is changing in that light. And I think you can only get that from a train. If I'd been flying, it just would not have been the same. I wouldn't have seen what was happening on the ground. And other people started to come into the dining car at about five. And the train manager had actually said to me, he said the best bit of the scenery of this journey is around three o'clock in the morning. So we said, if you can get up then, I highly advise you, you come in because there's no other time of year where you can see that on a night train because it's just pitch black otherwise so this route is called it's two separate trains so there's oslo to trondheim Mm. and then trondheim to buda i would say that's a proper bucket list journey it sounds like that route is an ultimate hidden gem train route Mm. chapter five is your hidden gem train journey are there any others that you're happy to share with us the skeena train that i mentioned to you earlier in canada that for me was a bit of a hidden gem because i hadn't planned on doing it I it was just mentioned to me by someone who said oh if you're going to be in Jasper do you know there's another train that goes from Jasper to Prince Rupert and I said I've never heard of Prince Rupert and I don't know where it is and and they said well it's it's a really tiny town way up in the northwest of British Columbia um almost kind of on the border of Alaska I said it's that far up and and British Columbia is enormous I mean Canada's huge but British Columbia is is so vast and a Canadian friend of mine, when I told her I was going there, said, oh, wow, that's 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 like properly in the outback. And I thought if a Canadian is telling you that this is really far away, then it must be. Um, but this train is, again, it's a commuter train. Um, it's got different nicknames. It's called the Skeena because of the Skeena River that it goes past. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called the Rupert Rocket. And it's also called train number five. That's its official name. Um, but it travels from Jasper through a town called Prince George up to Prince Rupert and it goes through it's mainly First Nations reservations so they're all First Nations people who've had the land there it's their place and it's very much still like that Uh, the Gitskan people are the people who sort of live around that area so you see a lot of First Nations people get on board because the train is the only way that they can feasibly travel around there Um, the bus service is really poor there's no sort of transport network at all Um, and there's actually it's quite a kind of horrendous story that sort of goes along with it because there's a highway called the Highway of Tears. It's kind of nicknamed the Highway of Tears because a lot of women have hitchhiked along it because there's no other transport and they've been murdered or just never been seen again. Ugh. And so the train is a lifeline for them. And the train manager, Tracy, was telling me, she said, if you hitchhike, she basically said, if you hitchhike along Highway 69 you can kiss your ass goodbye she said it's just it's the worst thing to do but it's really sad because people have no other option and she said so we pick up people she said you'll see when you come back um in the next couple of days as well you'll see people get on board quite regularly and she said that's why we're a flag stop service because there's no other train for people to get um and she said we regularly pick women up she said there's no other safe way for people to do this so without the train they would really suffer because there's just no other way for them to get around um, but it's also one of the most stunning routes I've ever been on. Oh, it's, I mean, the Rockies on that side, sort of when you get to Jasper, that first night is probably the loveliest night. But with this train, it's, it goes over one night. You have to stay in Prince George. And again, in summer, they have the panoramic dome car. So you can go and sit upstairs and they have some of the most incredible wildlife. They've got, we did, I did actually see a black bear um um very very suddenly just bounding away from the track just as i'd given up on finding anything um there are lots of grizzly bears up there but i didn't get to see any um but we saw a lot of elk there were lots of caribou golden eagles um what else do we see moose um and they do turn up by the track you see them and you've got to just keep eyes peeled sometimes but it's also just just aesthetically the kind of glistening lakes and teal green colored water and just solitary fishermen and just beautiful oh my gosh so magical well I want to do that as well just adding endless train journeys to my uh, travel bucket list but in complete contrast then chapter six is the train journey you would never do again I don't think I would I mean obviously in practical terms I don't think I'd be able to do the trans-mongolian again because of the current situation but also I think that was one of those trains where once you've done it, there's not, I don't, I I never felt like there was a need to go back and do it again because I did it in summer. It was May, June time when I did it, which was very different from the big wintry experience that a lot of people have. And I know 
most people actually choose to do it in winter because of the scenery. But I never felt when I came off it like I wanted to go back and do it again. That felt to me like one of the most arduous journeys that I've ever done because we got on Monday morning at eight o'clock and Friday morning we were still in Siberia. It took four nights to still be in Siberia and there was no shower on board. It was so hot. It was about 32 degrees and I'd had five days of no shower and just felt I'm not normally a kind of icky, precious person at all. I'm really not fussed about not showering for a couple of days or, you know, eating boiled noodles from a samovar or anything like that. But I felt absolutely drained by the end of that. And that wasn't even the end of the trip either. We had a weekend in Siberia um, going around Lake Baikal, which was, again, spectacular and somewhere that I can't imagine ever really getting back to again without deciding I'm going to go to Lake Baikal and spend time there because it's so hard to get to. And after that, we then had two more nights on the train um, to Mongolia and then had to break it up in Mongolia and then two more days to Beijing. And it was the most spectacular ride to actually be overland all the way from London to Beijing. But it was a really tough leg But I guess, you know, it is a cool one to have ticked off. Oh, yeah. I don't take them for them to be kind of great fun all the time because that's not the reality of travel either. You know, it can be tough. It can be quite a hairy experience. You can have days where you know that you are very much outside your comfort zone. Um, But it's all part of the sort of traveling experience and understanding people. Oh, I mean, I could just sit here and chat about every train journey that you've done, all those ones from the Epic Train Journeys book. I mean, there are just so many. Now we are on to our final chapter, Manisha, and that is chapter seven, the train travel destination at the top of your travel bucket list. The Garn in Australia. I've never done it. I've never been to Australia, actually, or New Zealand. But the only thing that is holding me back is the the flight, I sort of feel like I can't justify this enormous flight and carbon emissions just to go and do a train. And I've been sort of wrestling with it quite a lot because I did want to do it for this book because it's such an epic train. And there's also another one called, the, I, th- I might be wrong, I think it's the Western Pacific. The one that goes from Perth across? Exactly. Um, and I want to do that one too. But I'm still trying to decide whether I can justify doing the flight to then get on the train. But it is it is one of the trains that I've wanted to do for a really long time because it's got such amazing history as well. Um, and you can and, and getting off in between in different places. I would love to sort of go into the centre of the country and be surrounded by all that red earth and clay and go to these amazing places that again you just if you weren't actually on a train at the time going through, sort of cutting through the middle of these places en route to somewhere else, I think you wouldn't naturally choose to visit a lot of these cities or, you know, just reservations, I guess. Ideally, it would be it would be the gun. And one very final question, actually. From <laughs> all of the train journeys that you've taken, what should be at the top of our train travel bucket lists? Even if you don't have kids the Santa Claus Express. (laughs) (laughs) I would probably have done this journey even without my children. It's a train in Finland that I'd read about that's literally called the Santa Claus Express. And it's a big double-decker green train that has got a Santa Claus big circle face on the outside. It leaves Helsinki at 7 o'clock, 7.30 in the evening, gets in about 7 o'clock the next morning to a city called Rovaniemi, which is in the heart of Finnish Lapland. And then you go to Santa Claus Village and visit Santa. And I did it with my children last December. And it was the most fun I think all of us have had on a train. Um, It's so brilliantly designed for families. I mean, it's mainly families who get on board. There were quite a few tourists that didn't have kids who just wanted to be on the train because it's so fun. Um, But it's a huge double-decker It happened to be snowing really heavily when we did it, so it really felt like a Christmas train, crunching through the snow to get on board. It had a fantastic dining car. I've mentioned dining cars quite a few times because, for me, they make or break a train. If you don't have one on board, 
I don't feel like you've had the full sleeper train experience because that's where everybody meets other people. It's where you, it's like a common room. You just hang out and you can hear people exchanging stories. You get a really good idea of what the food is like because they often have very national dishes in these in these compartments. And on this one specifically, they, it was really sweet. They'd sprayed it with snow, even though they didn't need to because it was snowing. And there was tinsel hung from all the gold bars that they'd got. It looked like a little diner. Um, and we'd actually made friends with the woman who was working in the dining car on the platform because it was delayed. And she said, as soon as you get on, dump your bags and come because it's so, so full, this train. There won't be tables available within 10 minutes. So just drop your stuff and come straight away. And so she, and she was right. As soon as we got in there, we managed to get the table and then it filled up so fast. I felt so sorry that all these other families had to turn away. And we had the most amazing dinner of... Um, meatballs and mash with gravy and lingonberry jam which is a apparently they sell 80,000 dishes of it a year and she told us she said it's the most popular dish so order it quickly um, and then we had some reindeer stew I mean we told the kids we said it's reindeer stew and they were like okay that's fine it's really nice it's tasty and they had that too and they were you know it's a lovely train because it's just full of kids running around in base layers and boots but it was it was really reasonable as well I, I just looked at the price the other day it was 200 euros, 212 euros for the four of us, because children under 10 travel free if you're sharing a berth with an adult. And the kids, they were five and three at the time. And it was wide enough for my husband and I to share with one of them. And we had an ensuite toilet and shower. And dinner was fairly inexpensive. I mean, comparatively speaking, for Finnish prices. Um, But the train, yeah, it went through the night through the snow you can sometimes see the northern lights on the train as well I've been told by people we didn't but you could still see just completely different scenery and even though it's nighttime, things are still lit up you've still got you know street lights and things and you can see lakes and you can see all the houses in the woods which had golden stars hanging off the front and occasionally you'd suddenly see a nativity scene that someone had set up and this is all at sort of one or two o'clock in the morning and it's really dark and everyone else is it's quiet it's a really smooth train as well it goes quite slowly um and it was the kids just had the best time they you know they're in bunk beds they've got snow outside they've got you know santa painted on the side and then we went to santa claus village and it's the most realistic setup the i mean santa looks like it's like he's been preparing himself all year to look exactly like he needs to look. And ah. at that point, my daughter was actually asking me, she'd had a few months of, is Santa real? And I said, well, look, when we get there, you can meet him and decide what you think. It's up to you. And when we came out, she said, he is real. And I said, why? Because his beard was real. She said, I looked, I checked. And I think he actually does have a proper beard for the kids. And his massive boots were felt and covered in snow. And he had little glasses. And he said... You know, is it is it okay for me to stop by your house when I'm travelling next week? And yes, yes, they're nodding. And my little one, it was just completely just. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Literally open mouthed and couldn't speak, and he said, Have you lost your voice? And she just shook her head, and then she got they got little packages and then got sent off. And you know, all the elves look about as elfish as you can imagine. It was it was amazing. It was such an incredible experience. So, you know. As, as a bucket list thing, I think if you're ever going to do anything like that, absolutely do that train with kids. I would wait till they're probably sort of four or five or six. But even if you don't have kids, it's such a fun experience. Such a lovely train. And there's there's plenty to do at Santa Claus Village that's not just visiting Santa. There's loads of... You can do husky rides. You can go in reindeer sleighs. Um, you know, great food, bars. Loads of people just... In, I mean... It's set up really nicely for grown-ups because while the kids are doing, you know, making big cookies and things, there's a bar. So the parents have great big pints while their kids are doing what they need to do and everyone's happy. Oh my God, it sounds so magical. I'm now literally just waiting for my daughter to 
grow older by a few years so I can take <laughs> her on that. I love Christmas. I got married at Christmas. Oh, did you? So uh, yeah, this is definitely one for me. Uh, thank you so much, Manisha Rajesh. Those were your travel diaries. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, I absolutely love that conversation. A huge thank you to Manisha Rajesh. I can't wait to read her next book when it's finished. In the meantime, check out Around India in 80 Trains, Around the World in 80 Trains and Epic Train Journeys. They are all sitting on my bookshelf that I'm looking at right now and they are wonderful. So transportative, as you can imagine they would be listening to Manisha. Thanks so much for listening today. If you'd like to hear more from the podcast, don't forget to hit subscribe or if you use Apple Podcasts to press follow so that a new episode lands in your podcast app each week. If you want to be the first to find out who is joining me on next week's episode, come and follow me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein and you'll also find me on threads and TikTok. I'd love to hear from you. And if you can't wait until next week, remember there's the first nine seasons to catch up on that's over 100 episodes to keep you busy there don't forget that all the destinations mentioned by my guests are included in the episode show notes here on your podcast app and listed on my website thetraveldiariespodcast.com thanks again everyone take care and i'll be back next week <laughs>